This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Catherine Edenback, CFO of Certify, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 509. Man, I, I am going to do everything I can to always remove any friction that exists between sales and finance. Whether that means if it makes our salespeople an easier way to get deals done, but that that friction is so harmful. And anyone out there, if you, I mean anything you see, uh, raise a flag, deal with it. Uh, anything you can do to, I mean, those two have to work together, and they have to be strategic partners. It's hard enough to win in this world. You got to be on the same page, and you got to be working together. You, you got to remove any friction between, especially a sales and a finance role. After nearly 20 years with CompuWare, CFO Joe Ajo says the CFO role, a position he's held for four years, is perhaps his longest tenure in any one role. Having served in numerous senior positions in FP&A and sales operations throughout his CompuWare career, a candid discussion with Joe Ajo begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to Joe Ajo, CFO of CompuWare. Joe, welcome. Jack, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Joe, as always, we we begin with uh, asking our guests to look backwards for us and sharing with us some of those career experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so probably a little unique um, is that I've been with the company for 23 years. I'm not going to say I started right out of college, but pretty much any meaningful job I've had has been at CompuWare. So I've had the fortune of a lot of different job roles over the years. I've had some that are customer facing, which has always helped. But you know, if I were to pick a few that really helped, uh, one would be uh, working in sales operations. And, and what I mean by that is any chance you can get to really understand uh, why your company does business and how you do business. Meaning, you know, so I really got to a good firsthand look at 
How are deals structured? What are the contract terms? How do we pay people? Uh, what's our go-to-market strategy across different products or geographies? All of that fit into sales operations at Compure, and I was very lucky uh, pretty early in my career to, uh, to spend a few years with that. Um, moving on from there, I would say, you know, probably getting into a little more middle or upper management role for people. Um, I was the head of our financial planning and analysis group. So heading FP&A, you know, now you kind of get into a, now you're getting a full view of the income statement, right? The full view of the P&L. So now you're getting more into revenue recognition, um, upfront versus recurring revenue. Uh, you're getting into everything that goes into the expenses, so all of the details there. Uh, so, you know, great help, obviously, understanding the guts of the company from a, from a purely income statement point of view. And then the third one that I would point out was, is, you know, probably I, I felt a little more unique, probably not as much anymore, but when we went through, you know, what, you know, what everyone refers to as the process, so, you know, the process of being acquired uh, four years ago, we ended up being bought by a private company. But that process, I mean, you obviously have no idea how that's going to play out. Well, I was the liaison between our company and all the third parties um, involved. So, I mean, you get a very quick introduction into investment banking, uh, due diligence, data rooms, management presentations, you know, and you, you find out you thought you knew everything about your company until you go through one of those. You, you learn everything really quick. So th those were three just off the top of my head, great experiences um, to prepare me for the uh, CFO role, which came four years ago. So, I, you know, 19 years into my career at Compure is when I became the CFO. So that happened in uh, 2014. Is that is that right? The Right at the end of it, yeah. No. So it was, at, yeah, correct. Okay. Now, Toma Bravo uh, was the private equity firm that bought this out in 2014. But, but take us back, Joe. When did this company go public originally? So the company, uh, you know, don't quote me on the exact if I get if I get this wrong by a year, but I started in '96, and I think the company went public in either '92 or '93. Uh, so just before I got here the first time, and then uh, you know, in the software industry, you know, we, uh, like a lot of people, we, we went through an unbelievable, um, you know, buzz or blip in a good way with Y2K. Uh, we were no different there. Um, all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, probably a lot of overbought capacity at the time. So, you know, now you go through some growing pains. You got really big, really fast, and all of a sudden that starts waning a little bit. And, you know, Compure was, you know, kind of doing a lot of things at the time, a lot of different business units across different revenue streams, whether it's different products or professional services. So, you know, we went through quite a number of years of, you know, trying to get that, get getting our house in order that way. And, you know, then through that process that I talked about, you know, before that happened, we sold off three business units. One went uh, public on their own, Covicent, and then Toma Bravo came in and, um, and bought us and another sister company uh, called Dynatrace, and then immediately split us into two separately run companies. I think your career is just filled with contradictions or uh, breaks with convention. I mean, this is a... Well, first of all, this is the mainframe company in the age of the cloud. Um, you're you're a, you're a CFO that began in sales ops, whereas sales is the place most aspiring finance leaders don't often get exposed to until the very end of their career or when they're about to 
even enter the CFO office. They'll take the plunge and spend more time with sales. And you built your career in a public company that you helped to take private. Most of the CFOs we speak to, well, they joined private companies and took them public. It's, uh, yeah, just filled with contradictions. But obviously the opportunities came your way. That's what kept you there. What else would you tell us? Because I have to believe even in your personal peer network, the people you get with, get together with ever so often are still, they scratch their head. Wow, you're still with CopyWare. Yeah, it's what, a little unique. What do you, um, what do you think? What, what kept you there? Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, you, you know, I was very fortunate that I got to do a lot of different jobs. So I probably... I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I've been the CFO for four years. I'm not sure I held another job for as long as four years within the company. And like I said, I got to do some customer-facing roles. Uh, so I, I led a, a team of people at one time that was our sole, and these people still exist. The, the sole job is to uh, work with all the existing customers, make sure they're getting value out of the software. You know, come maintenance renewal time, everybody's happy, everyone's checking the box, you know, they're good referenceable customers for us. I mean, that, that's not a typical job that a future CFO has. Um, so I've been very lucky that I've, I've had a good variety of jobs. Um, it's been a lot of exciting times at CompuWare. Uh, as anybody that's followed us would know, like you said, going from private to public, uh, Y2K, splitting the company, different things. Um, we've had a couple of different CFOs in the company in my time that are just fantastic people and were great mentors for me. Um, our CEO uh, for a long time was, you know, one of the founders of the company. Um, he also, you know, near and dear to my heart, he owns a professional hockey team. Um, so any interactions I had with him were always uh, fascinating um, a couple of different CEOs during my time. So there's just always been a lot of excitement, great people, um, you know, a, a gritty company in Detroit, Michigan that, you know, it's always been exciting. And, I, and I've always been fortunate to be able to do di different things and to grow my career and, and get a lot of diversity on my resume, considering I've been at one company, like you said. Now, you've been a CFO then. Uh, your CFO career has really been in a private company, Correct. but your most of your career, however, has been in a public company. Any thoughts on the public-private uh, operating a business, driving performance in one over the other? What would you tell us? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, I'm sure there, I'm, I'm sure there's pros and cons going both ways. I could tell the story either way. The way we did it, I can tell you that, and this isn't going to surprise anybody, but public companies have uh, much more stringent quarterly expectations. And let's face it, sometimes you make decisions that are probably better for the quarter than they are for the next 6 to 9 to 12 to 18 months. Uh, when you're private, you don't, you don't worry about that stuff. I mean, you know, you can do the right deal um, if it delays two days, uh, but for the right decision, it's still the right deal in a private setting, whereas in a public setting, that could be the reason a phone call with your Wall Street analysts don't go very well. Uh, you know, that, that's frustrating. So uh, there's definitely some advantages. Like I said, I'm sure there's advantages both ways. I, I'm not sitting here saying, we, you know, we should never go public, but there were definitely some advantages from going public to private. And like I said, when, when we did it, we split the company into two right away. That meant, you know, uh, two CEOs, G&A teams, 
but it allowed us to be laser focused. I mean, so, you know, here we are basically starting with a white, clean sheet of paper. I mean, that's everyone's dream come true. You always, how many times have you been into a meeting where you walk in and say, hey, we got to act like we have a white, clean sheet of paper. How would we do it? That's what we did. That's what going private allowed us to do. So that, that's why it was uh, so advantageous uh, in our situation. Tell us about uh, your world today in terms of metrics. What are those metrics that uh, you're paying painfully close attention to? So, you know, at CompuWare, um, let me let me preface it with one statement just to make sure people understand. So when we got bought the mainframe division, and I can talk about the mainframe uh, in a minute, uh, you know, what that means to us, but it was in a state of decline. So we were, um, we were declining revenues uh, pretty close to double digits. Uh, so we knew, again, we got to laser focus. We got that clean white sheet of paper. How are we going to do it? What changes are we going to make? And we made a commitment to our board at Toma Bravo. Look, the first thing we got to do is we got to stabilize this. So we got to stabilize the revenue, um, maintain the profitability that we were at. Um, but we have, we have to be able to stabilize before we can grow. And then with either through our own technology, creating something new or through some tuck-in acquisitions, once we stabilize, we feel we can grow. Everything I just said has happened. We've now enjoyed two uh, successful uh, or two years in a row of growth. So we were able to turn that tide. We were able to do it. So the metrics that we're really watching, I mean, there's two. Um, one is realization rate uh, and, and one is simply new bookings growth. And realization rate uh, can get a little tricky. Everyone probably does this a little differently. Uh, but in our world, it's very common to do multi-year deals. And what I mean when I say realization rate is the maintenance renewals for our customers, we are only measuring against the dollars that are up for renewal in that year. So it'd be real easy for me to say our realization rates are in the high 90s percents because when I do a three-year deal with all my customers, well, for two years, it's at 100% guaranteed. Well, that, that's, that's overstating a little bit. So we want to make sure we're really honing in on the realization rate of the dollars that are due in that current year. Um, that, that, that is known as the main thing in the company. Everybody in the company, no matter where you work, I, I would, I'm very confident you could go up to them and say, what's the main goal of CompuWare? And they would say 100% realization rate. Couple that with the new bookings growth, and the math becomes pretty simple. If you're if your realization rate or your cancellation rate, to look at the opposite of it, is less than your new bookings growth rate, you have a growth company. I mean, it, it's, it sounds simple, but trust me, it's not simple to execute. But that, those are the two that we're watching constantly, and everybody knows them at all times. And again, that's you're watching closely those customer relationships. Are there new ways that you're discovering to measure those relationships? Sure. Uh, yeah, we we have um, we we have some metrics around that. We had um, what was known as a, a VIP program, uh, value improvement program, for a number of years. Uh, that probably started. I, I again, don't quote me, but maybe ten years ago. Um, and again, that was basically going out measuring the, you know, how are you using the technology and what are some of those benchmarks, um, you know, against some of your peers in the industry. So really to make sure you're getting the full value out of the, the product. Now, fast forward, now we've got um, what's come out recently as our Z advisor. And now we're really trying to measure some of the key metrics, like you said, around engagement. You know, so what's really improving the throughput, the velocity, and the efficiency of the software and of the engagement, uh, you know, and the use of, of the mainframe uh, technology, you know, in, in the DevOps world? I mean, that's what we're after now, and, uh, and we feel that's going to make a big difference for us. We're, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface on that one, but uh, that's going to be a big one for us, and um, 
we, we think that one's really going to be a good measure for all of our customers. When we ask for a non-financial metric, uh, quite a few CFOs will mention the net promoter score to us, but uh, there are others that seem to be popping up more and more now as finance leaders uh, look at some of the data pools around their organization and decide to measure something. Is anything um, new uh, for you as far as non-financial metrics? I don't know if I would say new. I mean, we do use net promoter score. It's kind of ironic. We were, you know, in a meeting today that I was in with some other managers, they were talking about beefing up some of the metrics that go into that net promoter score. But, you know, not not so much non-financial, but we're also, um, we're, we're getting into some, uh, some value streams as it relates uh, to specific products. I mean, it's been very common. I'm sure a lot of companies do this. You, you go into your quarterly business reviews or you go into your board meeting it's very common to talk in terms of the way the sales organization is set up. So you're talking about specific sales teams or specific geographies, for example. We're getting a little bit more into the the value streams within product lines. Uh, So, you know, within those value streams, we're coming up with what we feel are some good cash flow proxies, whether that, and it's the same thing. It's the new bookings, it's the realization rate, or some of your pipeline trends. Those aren't non-finance, but they're, they're new to CompuWare to kind of look at the world that way in, in addition to some of the other ways we were looking at it. Not, not so much on the non-finance side other than that promoter score that you mentioned. Is a piece of this business um, a cloud offering or has CompuWare? Uh... No, it's, it's mainframe offering. Um, yeah. It's funny that you do mention cloud. We're big supporters of the cloud. Um, l- let me talk about mainframe for a little bit. So yeah. we're... Um, so we, we, we fully believe in the two-platform strategy at, at CompuWare. That's the way we run our company. And what I mean by that is mainframe and cloud. Um, so, you know, our IP, you know, you know, the coding, the secret sauce, so to speak, that's going to sit on the mainframe. But all the back office stuff and, you know, the other avenues that run the company, those are going to be cloud-based offerings for us. So you'd be amazed, CFOs out there, it's unbelievable how much money you can save your company doing it that way. So gone, we don't have the server farm in our data center. We, we don't believe in, in servers. Everything is either on the mainframe or it's, on, or it's in the cloud. That, that's the way we run the company. That's, you know, that's what we pitch. You know, we drink our own champagne, so to speak. The mainframe platform, you know, you were kind of joking about a little bit earlier, and there's probably a lot of people out there like, yeah, I, I kind of heard of that mainframe. I, I think it's that big computer that looks like a refrigerator, but, you know, I, I don't really know what it is. I mean, it's – and that's right. I mean, it's a big computer, and it just happens to be the most secure, the most reliable, and the fastest platform on the planet. What, what surprises people when we talk about the mainframe and, and one that's you know, people can relate to, just to give you some context – there's 30 billion transactions, more than 30 billion, that occur on, a, on mainframes every day. That's more than Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and iTunes combined. I mean, people just don't realize that. I mean, you, you, you've, you've interacted with a mainframe today, and you probably don't even know it. If, whether you've been on a cell phone, you've been to an ATM machine, you bought an airline ticket, you used a credit card all of that, anything that's transaction-based is going to interact with a mainframe. So that, that's why, you know, you'll hear our tagline is we want to be the mainframe software partner for the next 50 years. You know, we truly believe the mainframe is going to be around for 50 years. There's no doubt about it. Too, many, too much of your Fortune 50, your Fortune 500, all of your key banks, airlines, insurance companies, everybody's relying on that mainframe. I mean, we, we like to joke around that, you know, if, if Facebook or, 
or Twitter went down tomorrow, you or, 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 or your kids out there would, probably, would be very inconvenienced and annoyed. If the mainframe stopped working tomorrow, the economy would come to a halt. I mean, that, that, that's how important the mainframe is. So, Is your, is your uh, traditional customers, are they mainframe customers? or are, Is there a distinction between those customers buying your cloud offerings and those customers buying, uh, you know, your, your traditional mainframe offerings? So let's be clear. We don't have, we, you, know, you know, I don't want to say that we're selling cloud. We don't sell mainframe cloud offerings. We're selling mainframe software. Um, right. But, you know, yeah, no, our customers are, are definitely going to be using both for sure. Um, you know, the, one of the challenges in the industry is, you know, a new generation of workers. Uh, you know, some of your um, old guard mainframe workers, you know, they're retiring. So we've developed technology um, that has a look and feel, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, more for the millennials. You know, so we have, a, you know, one of our offerings called Topaz is basically allowing you to use the mainframe in an environment that you're used to. So as a 25-year-old coming out of school, it has the same look and feel as, you know, some of the other technologies that, that you're used to and that you know about. So that's very critical to us that, no, our, our customers are definitely going to be using all sorts of technologies, all sorts of platforms. We like to say all of that needs to be treated together because at the end of the day, you got to move fast. I mean, it doesn't matter how you're doing it. you got to go fast, and you're only going to be as fast as the, the slowest resource in your data center. When we come back, we ask CFO Joe Ajo for his finance strategic moment. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Over the course of your career, you no doubt had many finance strategic moments, is what we call them, which is where yeah. your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see a risk or an opportunity, and you responded to it, or you, you pointed your team in a different direction, uh, or you avoided uh, uh, you know, uh, going down the wrong path, whatever it may have been. Anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I'll share a story with you. Um, it, it, it's a true story, um, and I guess I would preface this by saying um, I'm going to assume that that some other people out there that there's probably a little, uh, or there might be a little friction somewhere within the company, or maybe even a little dysfunction between a, between a couple of groups. Um, you know, obviously you want as less of that as possible, but yeah. So in my career early on, I was, um, I can't even remember why I was in our executive suite. I, I was, you know, nowhere near an executive level. I was probably dropping off some reports or something. And I happened to run across two different people at two different times, um, given them the report, both great people, very effective leaders in their organizations. But just to kind of give you a sense of this friction. So I, I walk into the executive uh, sales VP's office and he's looking at something and he, and he just looks up at me and he says, hey, do you know 
why we have X number of finance people in all these countries around the world? And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird question to come from the sales VP. And I, you know, and I didn't know the answer. And I said, well, I can find out for you. Um, and I kind of moved on and moved along my way. And then I go into the CFO's office for, for a totally different reason. And, you know, she's looking at some reports. And, you know, I could tell she was busy. And, you know, all of a sudden she picks her head up and she says, do you have any idea why we have so many people on our sales ranking report that hasn't sold anything this year? And I seriously thought I was in bizarro world. And I'm like, well, here we are. We have our sales guy worrying about finance headcount. We have our CFO worried about sales ranking reports. And that day, I, I realized, man, I, I am going to do everything I can to always remove any friction that exists between sales and finance, whether that means if it makes our salespeople an easier way to get deals done. But that, that friction is so harmful. And anyone out there, if you, I mean, anything you see, uh, raise a flag, deal with it. Uh, anything you can do to, I mean, those two have to work together and they have to be strategic partners. It, it's hard enough to win in this world. You got to be on the same page and you got to be working together. You, you got to remove any friction between especially a sales and a finance role. So that, that was kind of my big moment to realize I can really make a, a difference in my career, you know, really sticking close to this, uh, to, to that uh situation and trying to improve it we're going to jump to our mentoring round where i get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor future finance leaders what is it that's exciting you today about finance and business you know for me um you've probably picked up on this already i mean i it's i i love to win i mean and you know and more so i even i hate losing you know, so what what can I do to help us win? I mean, and at CompuWare, with that with that blank sheet of paper, it was kind of on me. I, I have more than just finance. I basically have all the GNA functions. So you're talking IT, HR, legal, uh, what have you. You know, my job was to put the right infrastructure in place. I mean, you know, you want to be a strategic partner with your business. But we've got the right infrastructure in place to where we could take on more. We, we, we could do tuck-in acquisitions. And everything I'm telling you, you know, we, we've got the right seat at the table to, to help us win. I mean, that, that really is what keeps me up every day. I, I love coming in. What are we going to win at today? What, what are we going to do to make the company better, to put us in a position to win? And finance can play such a key role in that. Joe, uh, this next question, I always enjoy asking, but in your case, I think it would be particularly interesting. Um, if there's something you wish someone had told you the first time you stepped into the the CFO office, some piece of information. And again, you had this fairly unique uh, path to the to the CFO office. And here, here's, here's the thought. I, I was thinking, wow, you could have been COO. Who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, the, the private equity partner would have uh, brought in a, a finance person and you could have been the CEO, COO of this company, and I think you are today. I think you're CFO, COO, if I'm not mistaken, but you can correct me. Yeah, we don't. I mean, we don't technically have a COO, so yeah, I, I would, I would probably say that between myself and the CEO, we share that role. But yeah, you're right. I have more than finance functions, um, and it, it is interesting. I, I did take a different path, and, the, and it kind of goes right along with your question. I, I was actually asked probably 15 years ago. Uh, by the CEO at the time, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I got to know him a little bit through my career, and he was just like, "Well, do you ever want to be the CFO?" And I and immediately I was like, "No, 
I mean, there was no way I wanted to do that because at that stage of my career, I just assumed you had to know, you know, whatever my weaknesses were, I thought they they would be too big. So, for example, I had never been through an audit from start to finish. I didn't have a lot of international accounting experience. So, like, you know, knew what transfer pricing was and things like that. So what I would tell people out there is, Know your. I mean, obviously, you got to have a good financial mind and a good financial background in something. Like I, I did come up the FP&A ranks as well, but you, you don't have to know everything. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you do get to put a team together. So based on my background, yeah, I, I can guarantee you, I mean, I have a great controller who has a lot of international accounting experience, and that's okay. And I let him do his job, and I coach him, and I mentor him, but I don't need to know everything. You, you do not need to know every single thing about finance and accounting to be a CFO. So I wish someone would have told me that a long time ago, but that was something that I, like you said, I had a background that was probably not going to come up the CFO path. So that, that was one that really stuck out to me. Do you have a, uh, just a, a little more on a, a personal level, do you have a personal habit or routine uh, that uh, you think has contributed to your success in some way? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I probably have a couple of weird ones. Well, I mean, people think they're weird. There's two things about me that, um, so you walk in my office, people always walk in my office and they always, the first thing they always say is, oh my God, I can't believe how clean your office is. Like, I, I don't have papers all over my office. You know, I, I keep it very neat. And it's, you know, people are always like, God, where do you put everything? Uh, and the other one is, is I'm, I'm, I'm maniacal about controlling my inbox, um, probably to a fault. Um, but I, I don't let my inbox uh, grow very much in size. I, I deal with it. I move it on. I get it into the right folder. I address it. But I don't like when my inbox gets uh, very full. So th- those are probably two unique things about me. But I, I think they've helped. I mean, they've kept me organized and uh, kind of kept me on task, and I've always done it that way. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Um, yeah. I, I've um, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, by Patrick uh, Lencioni. You know, I've read the book a few times, um, and, I, and I'm, not a, I'm not a huge book reader, but I, this book specifically, it, it's an easy read. If you're, if you're on an airplane, you can easily read it on any type of flight. Um, it, it, the book is written in a story format, and I kind of compare it to that, you know, we've all got that weekend movie that no matter how many times you've seen it, if you're at home and you've got nothing going on, you're going to watch it. That's kind of how this book is to me. Every time I read it, uh, I get something different out of it. And it also it's good in that depending on what stage of your career you're in, whether you're just starting or you're in middle management or you're in upper management, there's something there for you because it's, it's basically you're going to read that book and realize, yeah, we do need everybody rowing in the same direction. That, that's the only way we're going to win. Uh, so I, I thought it was awesome, and I think people out there would love it. You know, uh, uh, I just want to mention before we go to our final question here, because uh, this is, I feel like I'm going to regret it later not, not dwelling a little more on, on your unique career path here. Some of the characteristics that you just uh, underscored for us, the, the outbox and emptying uh, the inbox and uh, the office that is uh, – Super clean. These are characteristics that are very much part of uh, uh, the CFO character as far as we've learned from these interviews in the past. I'm wondering if, but at the same time, your background is is very unlike it. I'm wondering if uh, when you were uh, sort of in the sales environment, was there a characteristic that set you apart from the sales team? 
Uh, because it, it seems to me you have a lot of qualities that are more sales oriented. And as I said, finance leaders who come up through accounting, they often have to somehow figure out and learn about sales. And they'll do it with um, uh, sort of sabbaticals or they'll they'll get special assignments sometimes that help them uh, get, get baptized and yep. help them understand better the sales mindset. You had that when you uh, came up through the ranks and uh, you had that all along, it seems to me. I'm wondering, maybe you had some uh, finance characteristics or characteristics that often uh, set you apart there. Were there any? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely a numbers guy. I'm a stats freak. Um, you know, I, I, I love sports. I, I have a heavy playing and coaching background. Uh, you know, so I, I, I'm very, you know, analytical by nature. I, I love problem solving and figuring things out. So, you know, all of those skills are there. Um, as far as, you know, me coming up the sales ops ranks, yeah, there, there were times where, you know, people would say to me, hey, why don't, why don't you just go into sales? Why, why don't you carry the bag? I mean, you know how it works around here. And, and I mean, let's face it, software salespeople can be very successful. Um, but probably just like I learned, um, probably a little later than I would have liked that you don't need to, you don't know everything about accounting and finance to be a CFO. I was always, you know, scared of, you know, I'd put a toe in the water, but I didn't want to step in the deep end because I was always nervous that I couldn't talk the technology game good enough, you know, if I really got put on the spot. So I knew the numbers, I knew how the business worked. So that was always just a little hesitant to, you know, take that final step into sales, um, and, and let's face it, I, I got a little lucky on timing, too, when we went private. And like I said, I, there was a couple of great CFOs here before my time when the company was much bigger and more business units. And, you know, they were at a stage of their career where they were moving on. And, you know, I, I was at the right place at the right time. So, you know, a little bit of fortune, hard work. And, you, you know, yeah, I, I kind of knew I was always analytical in nature. And that, at the end of the day, that was going to win out for me as opposed to, uh, you know, carrying the bag and, and you know, making the calls. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're up to our final uh, question where I get to ask you, looking forward now the next 12 months, what are your priorities as CFO of CompuWare? So like I said, CompuWare's done a, we've done an amazing turnaround of going from decline to stabilization to two years in a row of growth. Obviously, we've got to keep that going. We've put a great infrastructure in place. And what I mean by that is we have a great GNA infrastructure that could take on more. We, we could buy more tuck-in acquisitions. We could buy more companies and, and gain a lot of synergies. And I mean, we, we could take stuff in and, and we're ready to go. I mean, I, I, that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to now get more growth through acquisition. That, that, that's what we want to do. That's what we're focused on. And, and we've got the green light from Toma Bravo to do it. They're, they're just fantastic. They're awesome owners. Uh, we're very happy with them. And you know that, that's kind of our focus moving forward. Joe Ajo, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks, Jack. It was great. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? 
order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.